Um, we're continuing in this season of Epiphany. And uh, remember, during Advent, we celebrated the arrival of Jesus. And during the season of Epiphany, we celebrate and remember the appearing of Jesus and, and, and sort of the settling into mission of Jesus in the world. And all that meant in his first coming and all that means still for us today, for, for, for Jesus to be, to have been in the flesh, dwelling among us, in, in the fullness of God. And uh, what a beautiful and amazing reality that is. And see, the thing is, Christmas, Advent comes, and then Christmas comes, and then it's like you take down the greens, and it just feels so empty and barren in here, doesn't it? It just kind of always feels like that after the trees and the greenery comes down. And, and a lot of times that happens just with people as well. It's like the Christmas high and then just fall flat. And in the Christian calendar, we try not to do that. We try to go Christmas and then epiphany. Just keep going and keep celebrating this reality. This ama- we need more than like four weeks and then maybe another week or two to get used to the fact that God has come to us in the flesh. That God has made his dwelling among us in Jesus. And so we're spending a few extra weeks thinking about that as we walk through these days of Epiphany. And today we're in uh, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. And I want to read to us today from verses 15 through 22 as we think about Jesus' baptism and all that happened, actually not all that happened, but some of the things that happened in those moments and in that moment of his life that, that, that set him forward in, in his mission. So let's stand together, can we, as I read to us? Luke chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 15 through verse 22, and at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Luke three fifteen. everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah, John the Baptist. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. I like that. Warnings and good news in the same sentence. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. But one day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, it's in the opening of a book that I just got from my dad. My dad gave me this uh, and said, this is one you got to read. 
The, the name of the book is Tattoos on the Heart. And some of you have read that book, perhaps, written by Father Greg, uh, Gregory Boyle. He, uh, it's a book about his life and ministry among the gangs of Los Angeles and his, his uh, work primarily in the Boyle Heights neighborhood among thousands of gang members. Father Greg, priest, founder of Homeboy Industries. Just say that with me, it's fun, Homeboy Industries, that uh, has given work and, and hope to, to homeboys, gang members over the years. And just in the, in the beginning of the book, he tells a story from which he drew the book's title, again, Tattoos on the Heart. He tells a story about a particularly exasperating situation with a homie named Sharky, and that's what he calls him, so that's what I'll call him. Boyle had decided that he needed to switch his strategy with Sharky. He'd been trying to fix his problems and had discovered or began to sense that he was being a little too exacting, a little bit too harsh. And so he decided to retreat from that and and change his strategy, change his approach to to this this gang member and trying to help him to move forward. And uh, he, he began to tell him instead, and he sat down with him, he began to tell him just how heroic he was. Just uh, how, how the courage that he was demonstrating in transforming his life far surpassed the, the supposed bravery that he had displayed as a gang member on the streets of Los Angeles. And Boyle looked into his eyes, he says, and he told Sharky that he was a giant among men. And, and Boyle says, I, I meant it. <laughs> I wasn't just saying this. I looked into his eyes and I said, you are a giant among men. And he said that Sharky seemed a little thrown off balance by these words. And at first just silently stared back at at Boyle until finally he spoke. He said, damn, gee, I'm going to tattoo that on my heart. And I hesitated whether or not to use that particular word in my sermon, but wow or golly or doggone it just didn't quite have the same impact. So I hope you understand that here was the words coming from the heart of a hardened gang member who had known nothing but pain and self-centeredness perhaps and and who knows what else in his life on the streets, who was suddenly confronted by someone who was painting the portrait of, of a whole new experience, a whole new world, a whole new life. And he didn't have any other way to respond to that and simply to think about the tattoos perhaps that were written all over his body and drawn up who knows what all over his skin and to... And to, and to make the connection that the words that he had just heard were words that, that he wanted to have tattooed on his heart. That what, at whatever point in his life that he might need to know them, to be able to lean back on the reality of those words, he wouldn't have to look down at his skin, but he could sense them, he could read them, he could hear them, he could even feel them down deep. Within him. I, I love that whole idea. And I'm guessing that most of us remember some words like this. Perhaps that someone has spoken to us that have 
maybe had a similar impact on us, words that we hold on to, words that we cling to, words that have, have, have motivated us, compelled us, allowed us to continue to breathe at times, words that we have tattooed on our hearts that we can not only think about, but that we can feel down deep within us. Maybe they were words of affirmation that helped us believe something about ourselves that, that we had never even imagined about ourselves. Someone spoke into our lives perhaps at some point and identified something about us or within us that we had never seen and it began to affirm within us the reality of this. Or perhaps words of revelation that someone spoke to us as well that, that maybe helped us to see indeed that, that there was something more about us than we had known to that point. It's funny kind of some of the things that stick with us. Maybe even as I'm saying this, you're thinking about words that people have spoken to you in years past, and for whatever reason, they've, they've stuck with you. They've been tattooed on your heart. I remember a time when I was in ninth grade, and uh, I was on the high school freshman basketball team. By the way, who are these Rams that Deborah was referring to? I don't, I don't recognize it. No, I'm just kidding. I was on the, I was on the high school freshman basketball team, boys basketball team, and I remember it was during the junior varsity game, the game in between the freshman game and the varsity game, when one of the varsity players who was there watching all the games summoned me to his side. Now, this isn't what usually happens to freshman basketball players, and, and I wasn't sure that it was, he was actually calling me, so I had to kind of look twice to make sure but Jim Meehan was calling me up to the top row of the bleachers to, to chat with me. Now, Jim was a friend of my sister's who was a couple years older than me. And I'm pretty sure, as I recall, that Jim had actually thrown me in a trash can a few months earlier as a freshman in the basketball program. Uh, they used to do that. It's called hazing, kids. Um, uh, but, but now Jim was summoning me to his side during this game. And he pulled me over, and he just looked at me, and he, 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 uh, he, he, he said, Kinsler, great job out there tonight. We had already played our game. He said, Kinsler, great job out there tonight. I'm thinking about you. You're like a catalyst. You, you, you make change when you come into the games. You, you make everybody a little bit better. You make things go. And I thought, wow, Jim learned a new word in science class. No, I didn't think that. I, it's probably what happened, let's be honest. But, but I thought, I don't know what that means. I'm going to go home and look it up, but I think it's good. And I, I did look it up, and, and, and I learned that it does have scientific definitions. But it also has definitions in terms of uh, social groupings and relationships and how one person can be a catalyst into a situation and help bring about some some newness, some change, and, and bring some life to the other people that are involved. And, and I thought, wow, Jim Meehan thinks I'm a catalyst. I must be a catalyst. <laughs> and, and it's strange, but when I go into situations and into interactions and even in the life of our church and even when I step into a new setting, I, I think of myself as a catalyst. And I think maybe I've, at least I've got to live up to that because Jim thought I was. So I look for ways that I might become that even more in, in my life. And I've sort of tattooed it on my heart, I guess. 
and I've tried to be this kind of person. I remember another time when I knelt on a stage. It's kind of a funny thing to say, huh? I knelt on a stage, but it was at an altar on a stage, and I knelt, was kneeling next to my wife, and we were at the Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, and maybe some of you were even there, and as I knelt, I felt the press of two hands on my forehead, and it was one of our denomination's general superintendents, and I heard the sound of his voice saying these words, I charge you before God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be prepared in all seasons. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Take authority to administer the sacraments and take oversight of the church of God. I don't have those words memorized. I'm not a general superintendent. If I ever become one, I'll memorize them. I don't think I'll have to memorize them. <laughs> but like, like ink, taking formation on my heart. In those moments, I heard those words. And though I had felt called to ministry and had participated in ministry as a senior pastor even for some time before that moment, in a new and fresh way, an identity was being forged. A, a depth of my character was, was, was growing. Words that have given me inspiration and direction over the years were being spoken into me. Maybe for you it was a, a teacher who who said, you know, you really ought to think about this field of study. I see something in you. Maybe it was a coach who told you, you know, if you keep working, a college scholarship is really in line for you. A manager or a boss who just told you how critical your contribution was to the company or to the organization that you were a part of. A friend who reminded you that you really were strong enough. And you had it within you. They believed in you. You could make it through the situation that you found yourself in. Maybe it was a parent even that assured you of their love. Wouldn't it be great if all parents were like this? No matter the degree of your faults and failures. I think about the times when I've been that parent and my kids could remind you very quickly of the times when I haven't been that parent. I don't know who it was for you. But these have been words that have been tattooed on our hearts, permanently imprinted on our souls. Words that have given shape to our, our, our character, uh, forging our identities, moving us in certain directions. And no doubt, that tattooed on the heart of Jesus, as he stood there coming up from the waters of baptism, were these words spoken from heaven. You are my dearly loved Son, you bring me great joy. Or as other translations that you're more familiar with perhaps say, with you I am well pleased. My dearly loved son, you're my son who I love so much. You bring me great joy. You bring me great pleasure. And as we continue again in the season of Epiphany and we celebrate Jesus' appearing and his presence being made known to, uh, to humanity. We're, we're drawn to this moment 
this moment, this opening act of Jesus' earthly ministry when he's being revealed to the world as the one whom John the Baptist had spoken of, absolutely. The, the one who, had, who who's coming, whose sandals John was not even worthy to untie. The people were like, John, are you the Messiah? And John's like, whoa, no, 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 no. Let's don't, let's don't get carried away here. I baptize you with water, but someone who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This one was coming. This one had come in Jesus, we celebrate and remember that fact here as we celebrate and remember his baptism. This one was coming to bring about purity and, and cleansing in the hearts and lives of people. And, and as important as John's words had been in preparing the way, just think about it. John had been preaching. Prepare the way. Repent. He's coming. Get ready for this one. The words of John had been incredibly Important and helpful, calling the people to repentance. As important as they had been, nothing could have been more inspiring. Nothing could have been more life-giving. Nothing could have been more compelling to Jesus than this simple declaration coming now. Not from the words of, of man. Not even from the announcement of an angel who had announced his birth. But coming from the heavens. Coming from the voice of his father. Coming from the one whom, with whom he had been with from the very beginning. Who had now sent him out to accomplish his mission. And who was doing so with great words of love and inspiration. As meaningful as Jesus' own baptism would have been. Submitted himself, and this is what he did, him in full obedience to, to the Father's plans and purposes, re- receiving in fresh ways the infilling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It was, again, these words of the one who had sent him that would, that would in my mind at least, be that which would certainly remain. I mean, no doubt Jesus wouldn't ever forget the, the Holy Spirit descending on upon him, the, the, this, this sense of, of full submission to the Father. But, but I think about Jesus in the days that were still to come. And, and all that he would face. And all that he would endure. And all that he would encounter. And would there be anything from his early days. And especially from this, this, this transition time of entering into his ministry. That would stick with him more than these words from the Father. Tattooed on his heart. You are my Dearly loved son, you bring me such, such joy. Uh, it's, um, it's, the, it's, the voice, it's the voice of the Father speaking to him. It's interesting, scholars have noted that, that this, the baptism of Jesus is in all three of the, what are known as the, as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and uh, in, in Matthew, it's more of a public event because Matthew uh, has the voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I dearly love. But in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, it's more of a private, seemingly event. We're not sure if the voice was heard by other people, if it was just heard by Jesus. We kind of think maybe other folks heard it, but we don't know for sure at this point. And in Mark and Luke, it seems like it was more private and personal because those Gospel writers have the, the voice saying, you are my dearly. Love, son. 
And while admittedly there's some conflict, I guess, between these gospel writers, that's the beauty of the gospel accounts. They give us the fullness of this picture because it's very important to us that this was a public event. And it's very important to us that this was a private event as well. It's really significant that this is a public event that, that according to Matthew's uh, words from heaven, this is my son, that others would have heard this. And even if we think about Mark and Luke's uh, retelling of the story, it, it's been retold, right? Even if it was a private voice from heaven, it has been retold. It has become a public event. We have heard, the people who read the scriptures, who heard the stories, have heard of this event. It's very important that we know and that we're aware of this, the, the public nature of, 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 this, of this event. Uh, um, this, this, is the, this is the ringing endorsement of the Father for his Son. Announced to the whole world. Here, here is the Father announcing his full support for this one Jesus as he enters into ministry. Here is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, putting his full backing behind this one who will now enter into mission in the world. And it's as if in these moments and in this statement from the Father, it needs to be known among the whole world that we're in this together. If you wondered at all, earth, human people, this is my son whom I dearly love. He brings me great joy. And if you want to have anything to do with me, the father is saying, then you'll have a lot to do with him. It, it kind of seems like basic nature that, uh, that it would be hard for somebody to declare and demonstrate their love for me. And then to, you know, like, not like my children. Um, or to be harsh and mean to, to my own kids, the ones whom I dearly love. If you've got a problem with my kids, then you've likely got a problem with me. Unless they deserve it, then we both have a problem with my kids, all right? But that, that, that's a whole different story. You, you know what I'm saying, right? If, if somebody's got a problem with your kids, then they've got a problem with you. And it's, it's as if in these moments, in a very public and powerful way, God the Father is saying, hey, here he comes. And whatever you do unto him, in a sense, you do to me. And how you receive him, you receive me. And how you turn him away, you turn away me. We're in this together. If you've got a problem with him, you've got a problem with me. And if you, on the other hand, love the one I love, you bring joy to the one that brings me joy, then there is a closeness and a possibility of, of relationship that, that we could have never known otherwise. This has to say something to us, friends, to hear the Father say to Jesus, this is my, my dearly loved son, tells us, we better pay attention to this Jesus. And I know that you are. You wouldn't be here at church on Sunday morning if you weren't paying attention to Jesus. I get that. But I just want to encourage us to, to hear these words as, a, as an encouragement and as a challenge to, to raise the level of our awareness and appreciation and, and the depth of honor and, and worship and adoration 
of this Jesus who has come to be with us. He is dearly loved by the Father. He's not just, you know, like, well, go down there to earth and see what happens. I dearly love you. And if he is that dearly loved by the Father, he deserves to be dearly loved by us as well. Does that make sense? Very public, very beautiful, very, very powerful. And yet it seems like maybe even for us this morning, there's, there's a deeper significance personally to hearing this interaction between the Father and the Son in a, in a private and sort of personal way. Kind of imagining ourselves now to be kind of flies on the wall <laughs> and listening and, and, and being invited to hear this, this private conversation between the Father and His Son. Be, being given this glimpse into this, this very... It's very intimate. Now, now, it's not a, now it's not a proclamation to the entire universe about how important this Jesus is. Now it's, now it's from heart to heart, from father to son. And be very mindful of the fact that nothing has really happened yet for Jesus to have earned or deserved God's love in terms of his earthly ministry. Nothing is really, Jesus hasn't really done a whole lot in terms of his earthly ministry at this point to have brought great joy to the Father. He's just getting started. And yet it's so powerful in this moment to think that before he ever does anything impressive, before he ever heals anybody or sacrifices anything or teaches any great lessons, he's already brought great joy to the heart of his Father. I remember one time with Katie when she was little, I was putting her to bed, and I just said, honey, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And my daughter, always the literalist, looked at me and said, why? I mean, I guess I get why you love me, but why are you proud of me? I was like, that's a good question, because you haven't really done anything lately. (laughs) In fact, you probably fought with me to go to bed. Still kind of her nature, but I had, to, I had to think quickly on my feet, why am I proud of you? And, and I knew this didn't mean, make much sense to her heart at the stage of her development. I just I'm just proud of you because of who you are. I just, I think about who you are, Katie, and I just, I'm just proud of the person that you are and are becoming. And I think I remember saying that probably makes no sense to you. But it's not because of anything you've done necessarily, but just because of who you are. And there's a beautiful sense here that that the Father is intimately and powerfully saying that to the Son right here in these moments. As if not, not saying this not because of what he's done or who he's been, but because of who he is and who he'll be. And it's as if the Father is saying these words to, to create a level of of foundation and intimacy and love and trust and confidence so that his son might be able to serve and to live in the ways that God the Father had called him to, to do. It's a, it, and I made reference to this, but the, the passage actually that Teresa read from Isaiah, I just, I, I just can imagine 
that being applied to the life of Jesus. When you walk through the, the high waters, I'll be there. And I can imagine even in these moments of Jesus' life when he would be, when he would be uh, discounted by the religious leaders, when, when he would be mocked by people, when, when his own family would sort of, you know, try to shut him up, when, when ultimately the crowds would turn against him and, and call for his execution and when he would suffer and die. I just, I just know, I just know that at every point along the journey that Jesus felt tattooed on his heart these words. Don't you just know it? Is it just, I'm dearly loved. <laughs> Even in this moment when the whole world is against me, I'm bringing joy to the Father's heart. And somehow, that private moment between father and son was, was, was enough. The, the spirit who filled his life was enough. The, the very life of God that was Jesus was enough. But these words carried him through in these moments. I'm so thankful for that. And, and, and we're just thankful as well for a window into this private conversation, aren't we? Because, because we just recognize that the way that the Father talked to the Son in this intimate, personal way is his MO. It's his modus operandi. It's the way he acts in the world. It's the way he relates with his other children as well. And there's some of you that have that have tattooed on your heart wonderful words of affirmation and revelation that people have spoken to you over the years, unearthing something about you that you didn't know or reminding you of something beautiful in you that you had forgotten about. And let's be honest, there are others of us here that have tattooed on our hearts. Actually, we have scarred on our hearts. Words that have brought great pain and difficulty that have shrunk us down from who we had hoped to be, that have made us feel small and damaged and hurt, words that have abused us. And to know that in the face of those scarring words, these same tattooing words might be spoken to you and to me. And to us is a beautiful truth in its own right. This morning, my friends, the story reveals to us a Jesus who has come in the fullness and in the power of God. A Jesus who has come commissioned by God to serve him and to fulfill the mission of service and sacrifice that he has been given. The story also reveals to us a father who longs to speak not only into the heart of his son Jesus, but into the hearts of his daughters and his sons even today. So hear it anew. Let the ink Form the words on your heart down deeply, firmly imprinted, never to be erased. You are my dearly loved child. I don't, I don't, you don't have to have done a thing. In fact, you've probably done the opposite to have earned that title. You bring me great joy. 
You, you don't have to have done something to make him happy. It's just who you are. And as we hear it, may we, like Jesus, be propelled even into the very difficult seasons, even into the very harsh moments, even into the very tense and trying and difficult trials of our lives with hope and with confidence and with a sense of identity and mission, knowing that these words uh, were, are spoken by the Father not just to make us feel better, but because he means it. He means it. Let's pray together, can't we? God, thank you so much for this story and thank you for the ways that it reminds us of your, your care for your son Jesus the intimate relationship between Father and Son and Spirit, who are all revealed here in this story beautifully, this Trinitarian reality that we immerse ourselves in even today. We, we thank you that in the, the beauty of that, that, that three-in-one relationship where, where, there's, where there's great love and where there's great joy and where there's great life that, that we are invited in. We, we thank you that we're invited to, to love and to honor and to appreciate and to worship and to adore the Son with a, with a new sense of awareness, recognizing just how deeply, deeply, deeply loved he was by you, Father. May, may we have come upon us in these days of epiphany in particular as we walk through this season. May we have a light revealed to us, a light shining in our hearts and in our minds in new ways that, 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 just, that just, just magnifies and just lights up the person and the, the identity and the presence of Jesus. May we just be a church and be individual people who, 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 who get a new fascination, a new awareness, a new depth of, of, of love for the significance of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our lives and in our world. And may we be reminded, Father, that just as you spoke words of love and affirmation to him, securing his identity in that love, that we might hear the same words today as we seek in this new year to move forward in the mission that you have called us to, one of service and of sacrifice, maybe of getting up early and of stepping into unknown territory. May we do so with this confidence that we, we go not alone, but we go knowing that we are loved by you, that you strengthen and support us, and that our very, the very expression of our lives Live faithfully and obediently, however, however missing the ultimate mark that you would have for us brings joy to your heart. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for finding joy in us. Thank you for sending us. We give you ourselves and we respond to you now. In Jesus' name we pray.